Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast on a walk-off Wednesday. That's yes, right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Walk-off I'm Wednesday. Crazy. I'm Brian Siegler. Yeah, just walked it off there. Hokies baseball against Liberty. Uh, got two in the ninth uh, after going scoreless for eight innings. Uh, that, that's the way you, it's, it's, it's one of those sluggish midweek games. And, you know, if you can pull those out, way to go. It's, as our buddy Matt Neal always said, it's midweek college baseball. You never know what is going to happen. And tonight they couldn't score and they get two in the ninth, get the bases loaded. Big, good win, good win going into a big series, which we'll discuss in a little while. But, buddy, happy hump day. Welcome back to the first time we've had a show solo since. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we haven't uh, ridden solo in a while, man. I almost forgot how to do it. I, th- I uh, think we're yeah. gonna be all right, though. Let's see how this goes. Uh, you know, over the last three months, um, everybody that's come on as guests, uh, our buddy Robbie Compton, the White Vic, David Cunningham with Tech Sideline, Jordan Williams, which got a great story about him. I want to share in a second. Uh, who else? Mikey, Mike McDaniel's, all yeah. you guys who came on. Awesome times as always. But I want to hit real quick, uh, Brian, about Jordan Williams. He was on with us, and a few weeks later, he ran a camp down at Cox. He, I think he mentioned it during the show. If he didn't, he definitely was pushing it out on social media. And a girl I went to college with, her son got to go to this camp, and she was just raving about how awesome it was, how awesome Jordan was. He had guys like T. Higgins down there helping out with the drills. And it, and it made me even happier that we had him on the show just a few weeks before that. Yeah, I mean, he was hyping that up on uh, social media a lot. I know I, I retweeted it and shared it out. Um, so it sounds like it, it was a, a big hit down there. And, you know, kudos for him for running that well and, and, and being so personal with everybody that showed up for that. It's awesome, man. <clears throat> just doing what he can, and obviously he got drafted or got, you know signed with the uh, Dolphins after the draft, which is great for him. But man, yeah, he tonight, talked about liking that Florida weather, so he's back. He's back down there in uh, in, the, in Florida. But I mean, wasn't he training in Miami? Yeah, he, he was training down in Florida. I don't know if it was Miami, but he was training. Either in way, he didn't have to move too far. So great for him, and a lot of the other guys we'll mention in a little while as well. But Brian, we have so many things to break down. Let's hit some kind of news and notes headlines before we get into the deep stuff. And let's start with this. The Fuller brothers officially have a room now in the Virginia Tech football facility, the defensive back room. Are you shocked by that? Not shocked. Not shocked at all. But Vince, Corey, Kyle, and Kendall um, make a, I'm guessing, a pretty hefty donation to Virginia Tech to get that um get that name on there because you don't you don't pay five you don't pay six figures for a room. You usually pay a lot more. And it's awesome what that family's meant to the university, to the football program that that happened. Yeah, it's a big moment for them. Um and it, it just goes to reinforce, you know, the, the the families, the brothers that that end up playing for the Hokies and it, it just goes to to reinforce that for future generations now. They look at that Fuller room, you know that that's not that's not named after one brother. That's named after in, in honor of all four of them. So four brothers, and then one of the statements that Kyle said, talking about Coach Pry and the entire staff had made a very concerted effort to connect with the entire alumni base, and we feel welcome in Blacksburg. It's awesome to hear that. 
made a comment about the tremendous contribution uh, that financially they made to the football program. Um, And then this comes out a few days after the reach for excellent goal. Brian, it was a $400 million goal. Five years is the expectation, right? Yeah, it was it was a five year um, time frame put on the to reach the goal uh, for the fundraising. In your wildest dreams, did you think they would hit halfway right at a year after announcing? I did not. I did not think we would uh, we'd be having a, a Bon Jovi situation already. <laughs> We're halfway there. We're halfway there. <laughs> it's wild. A four hundred million dollar. Uh, Campaign two hundred million. The press was released was just after the spring game on the twenty eighth of February, a few days after our last podcast. And I mean, it's the bump, right? I think it's the bump. Yeah. I mean, this is a it's it's a athletic wise reaching thing, but I think having what we've had with Coach Pry come on how he's been on social media, how active he's been in the community, how active he's been at fundraising events. When, 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 when people get that, people are a hell of a lot more willing to open up their wallets and their checkbooks yep. for a campaign like this. What I'm interested to see if, if the numbers ever come out is how much did donations pick up end of November, first part of December. And I'm not just saying that as, Fuente compared to Pry. I'm saying that as the momentum behind athletics as a whole between Pry getting hired and the things he's done since he's been here, the run for the men's basketball and women's basketball, and now everything that the spring sports are doing with softball and baseball, which I know we're about to get to. But uh, I think it, if you look at kind of the way things are going with all the sports, and I, I don't want to leave out wrestling either. No, uh, you know, or wrestling. Basketball. Yeah, I, I mentioned them. Yeah, yeah. It was like not not to be joking about like serious situations, but it's like we're in the we were in the middle of the ocean. Everything was calm, and this thing underneath the ocean called Brent Pry erupted, and it's just been this huge tsunami of momentum, like you said, through the winter sports, and now we're into the spring sports, and they're carrying it. And I mean. You know, let's flip to that, Brian. Let's talk about the softball team. I mean, they're already the regular season champs. Yep. They're without a shadow of doubt going to have a regional in Blacksburg. And, man, you got to kind of think they're number two in the country. Yeah. I, it, unless they – how did you say it the other day about them not being able to host a Super Regional? Um, a whole lot of teams behind them got to do some good shit, and they've got to pretty much lose immediately. Yeah, <laughs> early so, and often. Um, it, it, it's going to be. I mean, regional host seems locked at this point. Super regional host seems very likely. Yeah, even I mean, because you sit here and the only teams behind them, and I'm looking at the USA Today rankings. Florida State, Arkansas, Alabama, UCLA, Oklahoma State, Arizona State. That's the top eight. Duke's nine. You know, they they beat Duke in a series. They beat FSU in a series. What do you value more? So let's say they don't have a great tournament. Do you value Duke or Florida State potentially getting hot 
in the tournament and doing something? Or do you value a regular season, which essentially what that's the super regional is? It's a regular season, best of three matchup. You win two, you go to the College World Series. Yeah. I, I think you, you kind of honor that that format that, that, that you're playing in. I mean, we talk about this all, all the time with uh, – with, with, with baseball too, with the whole uh, wild card play in that I don't like that shit. So, um, you know, I, I'm all about the format is the format. So, um, I think you would ride that direction, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think you would too. Yeah, Brian does not like the one playoff format. He's always objected for two to three. Um, every every everything else in baseball is a series, but then you have this one this one game for whatever reason is a, is a one and done. The only other scenario that that would be in is a tiebreaker to get into the said playoffs anyway. That's the only other scenario that you even have this in play, and you're going to make that you know you know if you want a team to be in the postseason, put them in the postseason and and, and play it normal. Play or normal. play it. Or play at least a a, a a modified version of a series. Whether Brian it's just like, wants two or three. Yeah, two or three get, three game series. Three games. Give series. me a doubleheader and a travel for the third one. There you go. And if you're traveling, you're going to wherever they're going to play stadium. You don't give the the worst team a a, a home game. That's my opinion. Oh, one other thing we forgot to mention with softball. Um, first of all, shout out Mackenzie Lauder, hometown girl where we grew up, catcher. Gotcha. We her her dad taught us. <laughs> yep. We went to school with her sister. So yep. <laughs> one other thing, um, Keely Richard, shocker, shocker, pitcher of the year in the ACC after going fifteen and zero. Who could have seen that coming? Not everyone. Uh, <laughs> the question is, is she going to get any national accolades? I mean, I think she's guaranteed a All American. I don't even. I don't even think you blink at that. As dominant as she can be. I mean, if 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 not, that's a that's a big time snub. Oh, oh, maybe that's what we need then—a little snub going into the, uh, <laughs> little snub going into the, uh, into the uh, into playoff mode. That might be the thing to do. All right, we just mentioned it at the top of the program a few minutes ago. Baseball walks off, beats Liberty. Um, baseball is now. Let me get it up here. What are they? 34 and 6, 34 and 8, something ridiculous. Oh, here we go. No, 34 and 10, excuse me. Excuse me. Yep. A little bit there. Um, we got seven, seven games left in the regular season. Seven games left. You've got a huge series this weekend with Louisville. Louisville's number seven in the country uh, by a Baseball America, Tex 4. Um, we just mentioned it a couple seconds ago, Brian. Um, I think regional they're they're one of the best sixteen teams in the country. They're gonna get a regional berth. Post yep. regardless. Yep. Regardless. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's I don't I don't think that seems um outlandish. I like I said, I think some serious stuff would have to happen in the coming, you know, couple weeks for for that to be in jeopardy. Um and you talked about a big series against Louisville. I think that's gonna be Really, the biggest series down the stretch for them to close it out. If they can 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 get that series, I feel really good about um, going ahead and stamping them for that regional host for sure. Regional host tour conference tournament at the end of the month. It'll be on Labor Day weekend. Um, I think it's probably going to be some Hokies down there. It's going to be down in Charlotte at Truist Field. So 
for those who are in the Charlotte area, I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to go to an ACC baseball tournament. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun to go to. Um, you're seeing, you know, you've got – you see a lot of talent um, all over the field, regardless if you're going to see the Hokies play um, or if you're going to see the um, – or any other team play. There is yeah. a ton of guys who are going to be in the MLB – from the ACC in the oncoming year. So definitely worth a uh, worth your time if you're in the Charlotte area and you got nothing else going on that weekend. Well, there's a bunch of Hokies in the Charlotte area. It's not that bad of a drive from the Roanoke and Blacksburg area oh. uh, down to Charlotte. So if you can get there, get there. If you can get there, get there. If you can't, hopefully the ACC network will show the games. But – we know how funky that network is. They'll be like blacking out games showing replays of the pit spring game or something. But hey, we got the game tonight, so <laughs> oh, there, 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 tonight? Yeah, yeah. There is there is a chance. <clears throat> there is a chance. All right, Brian. Baseball, softball, knocked out. Let's talk about basketball because basketball has had a hell of a last few weeks. Um, kind of revamping the roster after you know losing some guys, and let's look at kind of the kind of the biggest name per se coming out is uh, John Camden transferring in from Memphis. Um, yep. You know, Camden was a pretty much a three star, or excuse me, a four star guy coming out of high school, a top one fifty player, six eight two oh five. Um, what do you, what do you think? I mean, is is this just Keeve Light? from his style and everything? Um, no, I think he's got a little bit more um, versatility here. And it, the question is going to be, is he going to be, you know, the, the the three, the four, the five? I don't I don't know how it's going to look. We're going to talk a little bit more about some other guys that might fill in those spots. But, um, you know, Cannon's a guy that gives you kind of that that versatility, um, can, can do a little bit in the in the front end, the backcourt. Um you know, could be, um, you know, a, a big three, um, you know, could play the four um, and, and might might give you five in a pinch, depending on if you want to go small. So, um, you know, it does give some flexibility with uh, how Mike Young makes the lineups there. It's very, very true. And, you know, we needed some, you know, leaving losing key was big, right? You lose a score. Well, they go out look at the lower level parts of D1 and they go out to Wright State and get Grant Basile, the 6'9", 225 pound forward um, out of Wisconsin. Last year averaged 18 and a half a game, eight and a half boards a game, shot 50% from the field um, and did it against some good competition too. You know, they lost to Arizona in that opening game. He still scored 21, grabbed five boards, three blocks, and he shot, you know, 40% from the field against a really good Arizona team. So he's coming from a small school, but he's shown that he can play with the bigger guys. Yeah, he's shown that he can play with the bigger guys, and he's shown that he can do a lot of different things. Um, he's got a similar skill set to Aluma, but I think he's a little bit more willing um, to bang in the post. Um, so there, there might be a little more um, rebounding uh, edge there uh, with him on the court. Um, not probably not quite as good uh, stepping out, but you know we'll see what we can get from him. But 
he's part of this big revamping of the front court that Mike Young needed to do in order to be ready for this upcoming year with Mutt's kind of still hanging in the balance there and Aluma already declaring for the draft. It's very true. And then just yesterday they get one more front court. Now I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right. Malai Jail Potit. I know I'm pronouncing the last name right. Six nine, two hundred and sixty pounds, transferring from Rice from Reedsville, North Carolina. So he actually went to high school down in Burlington. So very probably familiar with Virginia Tech. Last year, seven, you know, right at eight points a game, grabbed over four boards a game in, you know, limited minutes. Um, only averaged about thirteen minutes a game, but that's a big body down low. And it feels like there were at times there were games this year we were missing not necessarily a seven-footer, but just a big body that could, you know, give some fouls, make guys have to work hard. And to me, he kind of fills that role when they want to go with a more defensive, maybe not a scoring presence at the five. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to end up being the starter uh, at the five or if he's going to be coming off the bench um, and kind of just, you know, playing with some of the matchups there to, to give guys a blow. But uh, I, I definitely think he's got some potential here. Um, you know, he averaged 13 minutes. We saw when his minutes went up, his scoring went up. So it, it, this isn't just a, you know, more minutes is, is getting more production, uh, which is a good sign, um, especially if he's asked to even do, you know, up to 18 or 20, even if he's coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a big body. It's a guy that down low then gets some rebounds for you. Um, I don't know if he's going to end up having more of a Gasson or uh, or a uh, Big John type role uh, in the offense or if they're going to try to do something different with him. But I think it's a solid pickup and, again, reinforces that, uh, that front court. It does. I, I definitely don't think he's a starter. I definitely think he's a bench guy, boring matchup. Um, you know, you take somebody like Bacot with Carolina – there you go. Is is he still probably going to score some points on him? Yeah, but is he going to have to work a little harder at times? Absolutely. And then you've got five fouls to give. So, I mean, I see that. I, of this, I think Basile's probably going to be the guaranteed starter just because Camden got no play last year. you got to figure out exactly what he is. He was a high-ranked guy coming out, but he doesn't have that experience like Basile does. Yeah. And what, what were we thinking today? Padula's definitely the point guard, right? Yep. Is Maddox or is Couture your two? Uh, I think I like Maddox at the two, um, and then depending on how what, what we find out, we can get from Camden. Um, either start with Camden and use Couture as kind of your your two three pivot player off the bench, um, or you can use um, you get Couture in there and. Um, use Camden as the pivot from the three four um, as a sub off the bench there, um, and then you can shift Couture to the to the two uh, yeah. when Camden comes on when you need to. And you've got War too. You've got like Rodney Rice coming in. Yeah, I think what I'm already putting in my head is the first couple months be patient because I think last year a lot of us and I'm one of them. I was not patient when we were losing those games. Uh, I wasn't. But I think as I got into it, what Mike Young was trying to do is find his best rotations, his best combos. And once he got it figured out, right, 
that's when the run from January to March happened. Um, and obviously, when you're bringing in what five new guys, six new guys, yeah. Uh, I mean, even a couple of them who are very highly touted freshmen, you've got to figure out what they're going to do. Now, what's going to help everybody if this can happen is, you know, we're waiting on Justin Mutz. Yep. You know, if if Justin Mutz comes back, I will feel a hell of a lot better about this team early than later in the season. Yeah, because you're talking about a – it's not just Couture being the kind of bi- the big leader on the floor out the yeah. gate. Um, and when we talk about starting lineups, that might be the difference between having Couture as the starter is, you know, is Mutz coming back? If Mutz doesn't come back, if Mutz does come back, I should say, you have less of a need to have Couture as your starter on the floor because he is going to be the de facto leader in that group if, if Mutz isn't coming back. But with Mutz coming back, it gives you more flexibility with your lineup. If Cam is a little bit further along, you don't necessarily need that leader on the floor in that starting unit uh, out the gate. So, absolutely, that's going to be that, that's going to be I think the interesting point is that um, yeah, if Butts does come back, I think that that would be a big big boost for for that team because again, you get more matchup um, flexibility there and, and lineup flexibility. Well, definitely lineup flexibility. You probably. Yeah, the lineup flexibility is the big key on that. Um, Gasson is to the portal. I think with the pickup of Poteet yesterday, I think Gasson's probably not going to come back. That's just my feel. Um, and then, you know, Keeve got invited to the G League G League tryout, um, which is, you know, good for him. He he does, he does stayed around an extra season where last year he didn't get any invites. He's worked his way up to the G League tryouts. Definitely think – he has a chance maybe to eventually make a roster. If not, I think Kiva Luma is going to go overseas and make a lot of money playing Euro league basketball. Yeah. Yeah. It's good for him. Yeah. I mean, he's a solid player. Um, you know, has a, has a lot of uh, versatility in his game. Um, able to step back, take, take the three, um, can do a lot of things in the post down low. So uh, hopefully he can catch on somewhere and, and make it happen. Absolutely. All right, Brian. Baseball, basketball, softball. We talked some money. Dude, if I told you three weeks ago that today, June 11th, 2022, that the Hokies would be ranked 21st in 247's recruiting rankings, what would you have said to me? I would have said you're full of shit. And I would have been like, I'm probably in full of shit because that don't sound right. But, you know, guys, if y'all been paying attention, what a whirlwind getting six recruits in three weeks. And, man, they are from all over the place. And let's start with the first guy that uh, committed not long after uh, not long after the spring game from right here in the RVA, just down the street from me, Jason Abbey. From Douglas Freeman High School, 6'4", 215, edge player, ranked as an 84 by 247 sports. Um, You know, this kid had somebody tell me they talked with the Freeman coach not long after this happened. This kid just started playing football. 
and he's picking up this much momentum. I mean, were you able to even find any tape on him? Is there anything out there? Because he's just played a couple years. And I mean, last year would have been his junior year. There, there's some out there, but there's not a ton. Um, I mean, he is a he's a tall, lean type of defensive end, edge edge presence. Um, yeah, you, you think probably in terms of build, similar to to a Barno. Um, he's right now six four, two fifteen. Um, probably going to need some some weight to to be able to to, to work into a two deep role um, in this defense, but you know. It's one of those things where out the gate when you're trying to build build rosters like this and, and, and fill in some spots, you know, if if you can't um you know, recruit top end talent, recruit guys that have good size and have good speed and he's got some good speed. Absolutely. You know, super long wingspan. Did the athleticism show on the tape that you saw? Yeah, yeah. I mean it it definitely pops. You can tell he's an athlete. Awesome. You know, so you, you get one, you stay in state, you get kind of a under the radar guy from a school not known to put out a lot of big products. But from the way it looked, they hit deep run, they hit Godwin. I'm assuming they probably stopped by Freeman at some of those blitzes. And <laughs> hey, let me yeah. let's show you this kid. Like that kid, that kid. Yeah, here's an offer. Yeah, they, they made the little param circle there. <laughs> exactly. All right. So they weren't done in the state of Virginia yet. They go right in the back door and they actually get a kid who came over from Europe, from Germany. You now, there's some jokes out there about German <laughs> offensive linemen, but with the name like Hans Hammer, yeah. at six, six and a half and 275 pounds, he was not rated by 247 when you know, when, when everything was coming down, they got a hold of his tape. They already put him in the top 20 in Virginia and already gave him an 87. Um, yeah. Did you get to see some of his stuff yet? Cause I know there, he's at a private school down at uh, North cross, which is a private school down in Roanoke. Yeah. I watched some of that. Um, I mean, he looks like a guy that is kind of that classic um, underrated Wisconsin um, style <laughs> offensive lineman. Um, you know, you, you see why Rudolph would have targeted a, a player like him. Um, I think he's still a little raw, but I think he's got good size and he's showing some promise out the gate. And I think Rudolph just needs to to, to buff out the edges there. And uh, he's going to be a solid pickup. All right. Can I say something? I, I remember texting you or we talked about this over the phone when he committed. I think the 6'6 is legit. I do, I do think that. I think that's why Joe Rudolph pulled the trigger on him. I think he went and saw this kid in person down in Roanoke, and like legitimately, like oh, he's legitimately six foot six. He's legitimately two hundred seventy five pounds. I can work with this. Yep. And you know, again, it's an in state pickup um, that's out of the country. That's one of those weird back and forth things, but. When you see that happen where a guy doesn't get ranked and he gets put just at an 87, what does that tell you these analysts are seeing when they look at him? Well, it, t- it tells you that, 
number one, he's probably been under offered based on what, what they're seeing and based on some of the buzz that's coming out recently regarding that player. Um, you know, it's not just, okay, well, he committed to, to tech. He's got to at least be at 85, right. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some other things that go into a, a bump like that. You know, usually, you know, a, a guy commits to a power five that doesn't have many power five offers. That's like, a de facto 84, maybe yes, an 85. Yeah. You don't bump a guy to 87 off that. No. So they're, they're definitely seeing something else. And you mentioned the six, six. So two, four, seven has him six, six and a half. half. The fact that they added the half tells me that he's at least a full six, six because you don't throw If, if he was trying to bullshit, he would have thrown it to six, seven. <laughs> <laughs> If he was bullshitting, he would have uh, it would have been bigger than that. So yep. it's pretty awesome to hear that. All right, this is an offensive lineman podcast. We've always made that uh, point clear. They pick up another uh, commitment from an offensive lineman, Gabriel Arena, listed six five two eighty five, Bishop McDivitt. Cool up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We know Brent Prize love for Harrisburg. Bishop McDivitt is a private Catholic school up there um, with a pretty good football reputation. And if you're wondering why I'm saying pretty good football reputation, J.D. McCoy went to this school. Um, Noah Spence. Noah Spence was a huge recruit back um, a few years ago. Uh, LaRon McCoy went to this school. So this is one of those – they're going to put out good players, and it doesn't take every 20 years. Yep. Um, offers and from Bowling Green and places like that. Uh, what did the Gabriel Arena tape tell you? Um, you know, 85, three-star, by 247. Yeah, I mean, again, another guy with pretty good size, um, a little raw. Um, but the, the thing that jumped off for me is this one's got a motor. Um, and he's got a nasty streak, and I think that's that's going to be good for this offensive line. Um, and again, we're, this is this is kind of another guy that is very much in the Rudolph um, Rudolph footprint there, right? Yeah. Uh, th- this is the type of player um, that he that he tends to recruit. Um, he's found some a bunch of diamonds in the rough and developed them into NFL talent. Um, so hopefully, Arena is another one of them. And when we look at Bishop McDivitt, you know, you, you get arena, but I know we're also taking a look at their running back too, Marquise Williams. So there's, there's some other uh, talent I think we're looking at from McDivitt that could potentially, you know, come into play down the road in this class as well. So. Oh yeah. And, and a lot of what's going on right now is the, the setups to get in line for, you know, other players. And it's being discussed all over Twitter and group chats and things we're a part of. When you take someone from Bishop, when you start trying to get your inroads and keep, you know, underrated local kids at home, it's kind of big. And, you know, you talk about Brian, what was the name? You're talking about Marquise Williams? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a setup. Marquise Williams is a top five player in the state of Pennsylvania. He's a top two four seven player. Every move, it's we're not we're we're in an era. We're not in there. We're with a staff that understands to get to point C. You need to start working through A and B. You can't just jump to C all of yep. a sudden. So yeah, look, 
it's you know I know we talked about it a little bit. You know, Jason Abbey is the anomaly here. What we're seeing with a lot of these uh, recruits that we've gotten, even though they're not necessarily high three or four star players, they're from schools that have a rich history of putting out collegiate and NFL talent. And the next one that committed, exact same way. Dante Lovett and DeMatha. Yep. If you – basically, collegiate basketball, collegiate football, DeMatha puts out a ton of each. Um, he is three-star, 87. Um, but the way they were talking about him as he was leading up to – He's one of these kids that could take a massive, massive jump in his senior season. Yeah, b- big jump could be coming for him. Um, really talented. I think he might end up at safety, but I think he could play corner as well. Um, you know, if, if we were rating him probably as a safety, he'd be higher out the gate. Okay. Um, that, that's my opinion. I think he'd have a higher rating if you were rating him just as a safety. Um, but yeah, I think he definitely could be in line for a bump. I think he's one of the guys that he's he's gotten some look, but I, I think with a good senior season, he could really get a bump and probably be either he's definitely going to be in that high three star range, could be in the in the four star range. Yeah, and and taking a look at Dematha with the top twelve, including Dante Lovett, they have two more. They have the top player in the state of Maryland, and they've got the number nine player in the state of Maryland. Also, some to keep an eye on as well. St. Francis Academy, who probably was able to hold on to two of our better recruits last year, also has a guy in the top five for defensive line. So, you know, and then another guy in the top 15. So just continue to keep thinking about that. You know, Love is 6'1", 185. If, if, he, if that's his true size, he doesn't really have to come in and do too much weight gain to play um, – Especially if they start him at corner initially. They start yeah, at corner. I mean, yeah. Yeah. A little bit of weight game, but you can play undersized safety if you get good technique. You know, that's we're not safety. talking about a, we're not talking about a big amount either. No, no, not a big amount either. All right. So, you know, we were sitting here last night, at least I was, and all of a sudden Brent try Brent Pride drops his signal. And everybody's like, Who is it? Who was it? Who was it? Who is this? And a guy I think a lot of people have been expecting to commit to Virginia Tech at some point this spring, summer, and that's Marcel Baylor. 6'3", 195 out of Radford High School, uh, three-star, 86. Um, Keep the local guys who have development potential. Keep them. Keep them in state. Got development potential. I think um, there's some real upside with him. He's already got a good build um, coming out of high school. Uh, we showed him a lot of love. Uh, you know, the, the videos are out there of uh, him arriving mm-hmm. on campus, and you know the love that was that was shown out for him. And I think, you know, we were we were talking about early on. We thought he might be one of the first ones to jump in the boat. Um, True. You know, with how far along we, we he was early in the process. I'm glad to see that, that we closed the deal there, um, at least in terms of the verbal commitment there. So yeah, uh, let, let's keep it moving because um, we, we still had one more. <laughs> we still had one more. On Baylor, though, and back on Lovett, Lovett's primary recruiter was Derek Jones, 6'3", 
Secondary was Pearson Prelude. Marcel's primary was Pearson. So for Pearson, and I know he definitely has a great relationship with Radford High School coaching there for a few years, but to get Pearson's feet wet, get him a couple wins early with a guy with his personality, his football knowledge, a big old ring to walk in, actually a lot of rings because the time he played here plus the Super Bowl and all those years spent in the NFL, he has something to walk around with. Yep. But to Brian's point, we were not done. 4 p.m. today, a quarterback from a Georgia powerhouse yep. drops it. Dylan Whitaker, if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, sorry, three-star out of Buford High School who were state champs last year. Um, you know, they talk about multi-sport athlete, runs track, plays baseball, Clocked at a 4.5 at the Elite 11 back in 2022. 37-inch, 4.31 uh, short vertical. Team back in 21 when he was the backup, won a state title. This guy's coming from a Pettibee program, and he's athletic as hell. Yeah, and uh, and where it is, he can uh, sling the ball a little bit too. Um, definitely unpolished, uh, I think, a little bit in that area, but has the uh, cannon to get the ball down the field and can make all the throws uh, that you want him to make. Um, I don't think he's as much of a project as a couple of the other quarterbacks that we've seen lately yeah. um, that have you know similar athletic traits, um, big arm. Uh, I, I think he's a little bit more uh, game ready, uh, and I think he matches what – we're trying to do on offense maybe a little better than some of the guys that have come through in the past who weren't necessarily good scheme fits, even though they had some physical tools. It's very true. And you talk about kind of being game ready, even in a backup role last year, he got a chance to play as their change of pace back is what they listed here as his background. He completed over 60% of his passes for close to 650 yards and seven touchdowns. That's pretty good for a backup. You know, usually you're hoping if you've got a change of pace guy, just can you throw 50%? Can you just get 50%? Don't don't fuck it up. Get some good runs, hand the ball off. So it's uh it's pretty awesome that um you know it's in we're in the top twenty. You know, we've already said it, top thirty-five or better this year and sort of a rebuild would be great to get this kind of momentum going in May. Because we're three weeks out from when camp starts. Yep. If to me, if we can get one more between now and that first camp in June, you're talking about going in with eight guys, and that would be a big momentum because then you're gonna get probably some elite talent coming in and the coaches to be able to to make the sell. Yeah, a bunch of official visits are pegged for those camps in uh in June as well, surrounding those camps. So I think that's gonna be big for a lot of these players. Um, getting them in, getting them on campus. Some of the ones that we're waiting to pull the trigger on, seeing what they can do in these drills against maybe potentially bigger, stronger talent. Um, I think that's going to be big for them. And yeah. yeah, like I said, it could be a really, June could be a really big month. Um, after, you know, we, we kind of kicked off May pretty good as well. So. You know, like I said, we we're not expecting you know big big moves um, yeah. this year. I think I think right now it's this is a 
fill the roster where you need to fill the roster yep. with solid talent, go out, develop them, and win some games in 22, and then yep. then you got something to sell on the road for next year. Yep. That's that's the big key. It's Do I expect maybe us to get one or two four-stars this cycle? Yeah, one or two. I think we're going to pick off. I think we've got enough good recruiters in the building. Do I expect it to be eight or nine? No. Unless, you know, unless something crazy happens and we're sitting here in November saying, hey, we're seven and one. Yeah. Are you bleeping kidding me? Like, that's when you could flip that on to having a really good season. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to discuss one other thing, Brian. Brent Pry from day one has been preaching the six-hour radius, the six-hour radius, the six-hour radius. Dylan Whitakey is the furthest player from his hometown to Blacksburg. Do you know how long that drive is? Tell me, man. Five hours, 55 minutes. <laughs> The six just shaved hour, it. Hour just shaved it. The six. But think about the rest of the guys. You've got, you know, Abby here in Richmond, three hours. You got Lance Williams and Alcoa. It's about a four and a half hour drive. Hammers and Roanoke. That's right there. Baylor's and Raptors, right there. Arena and Harrisonburg, what, four and a half hours? DeMatha, yep. about four. He said that was his plan, and he has stuck to it thus far. Yep. And I like that we're we're not ignoring the states next to us in either direction. This this isn't just you know let, let let's touch the the schools in the states that we've had a history with. Yeah, we're doing that, um, but but we're tapping into some areas in that footprint that we haven't historically been been doing well at. Particularly Pennsylvania, we've already you know done done some somewhat well there. We got a DeMatha kid in a battle against Maryland. We beat Maryland for a kid in their backyard. You always you always talk about it. Those are the wins we need to take 80% of the time. Yep. Take those 80% of the time. You start doing that and getting players like a kid of Lovett's caliber who is an 87 who's – to me, that's a higher three. That's not a high, high three, an 88 or 89, but that's a higher three. It's more than the mid three to me. But you're beating Maryland for them. Now, the next couple, like you always talk about, if we have to go against NC State for a kid or like um, trying to throw another name out there or South Carolina. and I, I mean, say, I mean, even Wake at this point. Yeah. Go win those four out of five times. Yeah, win the battles that you can win. Um, you know, you're not going to always – I mean, even in the regional footprint, you're not always going to beat UNC or Penn State, but you need to – Pretty much all the time, beat NC State, beat Duke, beat Wake, beat Maryland. True. Very true. Beat Pitt. Beat Kentucky. Beat Kentucky. If Kentucky, if Kentucky's in play for somebody. And, and Louisville, places like that, that's the ones you got to win 80% of the time. All right, Brian, before we start looking at the portal and some other things, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. 
As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, Brian, let's take a look at the portal because since we last talked, we didn't get into the portal that week because we were talking about the spring game. A couple guys we already know, Jordan Brunson gone, Taj Gary gone. We didn't mention it last time. Oversight, Jared Gibble got in the portal tight end. But since then, man, it's been a flood. Yep. Marco Lee in the portal, already committed to South Alabama. Glad he found a place to play. Defensive back Deshaun Elder. Uh, walk on Jabari Parker out of Highland Springs. Bryce Goodner, which I think that's one of going to be our big talking points here. Jalen Hampton and Nadir Thompson. And I'm, is DJ Sims, is he in or is he out? I thought he was back in. Not, no, sorry, back in as in part of the roster. I, oh, okay. I think he put himself in and then took himself out of the portal. Really quick. Maybe it was the wrong name. But – you know, best of luck to all those guys, first of all. I hope they all land somewhere, able to compete, play the game they love, get their education completed. Um, but I think the one on this list, Brian, we started talking about, you liked the Goodner tape last year. You thought he'd do good and heard some things like he was working with second team, then all of a sudden he's flipped to the defensive line. And the next thing you know, a few weeks later, he's out in the portal and then he's already committed to UT Chattanooga. So a little shock. A little bit, a little bit. And I think um, what I'm going to assume in this situation is that given the uh, lack of depth that we were looking at when we were recruiting Bryce, he came in thinking he was going to get some early playing time by this year. And I think between the combination of switching schemes and it not being as good of a fit, also looking at where he was on the depth chart with some other new guys that are, that are coming into the program, he wasn't in the too deep anymore as we were moving through spring. Flipped to the defensive side, looked like he wasn't going to be in the three deep on that side of the ball and decided, let me see what's out there in the portal. Yep. And he did. And he went down to an FCS program and UT Chattanooga, I believe is a decent program. I know Will Healy coached there for a few years. Um, but, excuse <coughs> me there. But, but let's just be honest. First of all, I'm, I'm glad he landed somewhere. But it also shows you what we're looking for. It's going to be a little bit different because you you kind of talked about him. You liked him in that zone scheme that we were in previously. But, well, one room that got cleared up between Brunson, Lee, Gary, and Hampton, running back rooms is now at seven. We're at a good number. We know Jalen Holston is gone next year. Um, were you Are you shocked but still glad Kenji Christian has not entered the portal yet? I am because based on what I was hearing, it sounded like he was potentially in the doghouse. I'm glad that either that's not the case or that whatever 
was going on with that has been cleared up to a point where he feels comfortable say, saying and the staff feels comfortable with him, you know, moving forward. Um, you know, whatever the situation, I don't want to speculate on something that I don't, I don't have 100% knowledge on. So, um, but I think, like I said, he's got, he's got good talent. And I think between the tackles, he can be that type of player for us in this scheme. Um, you know, hopefully, I don't know if this year is going to be that time for him, but hopefully by next year when, when Holson's out, he can slip into that type of role in this offense. Um, you know, I, you know, I think that we're, we've already kind of found our, our all purpose guy with Thomas. Um, he can be the, between the tackle specialists and let guys like King and Chance Black be kind of that, uh, that more gadget type player in the offense. All right. If a few months ago I gave you a number of nine and a half, would you have said over or under how many guys we have in the portal? I'd have said probably over at this point. We're and we're at eight. Um which right now we have one scholarship to give out to someone in the portal. But do you think this says a lot more about potentially Brent Prime, the culture he's instilling here, that he's he's Obviously, he had some hard conversations with guys because guys have we have a number of guys that have left, but it's well, not the mass exodus I think we expected. It's not. I mean, we we he had the the discussions he had to have, which is we can't have ten scholarship running backs. <laughs> so we've had that discussion. That's that's been that's been settled at least to a point. Um, but it sounds like he had those tough dis- discussions. But it also sounds like. We've got some pretty good buy-in by these these players that were already on the roster. Um, you know whether that ends up being a good thing uh, long term, we'll have to see. Uh, but the fact that he's been able to come in, sell his vision on what he sees, and guys want to be a part of that, even if they're not necessarily in the two deep heading into fall, says a lot about I think the process that we're going through right now. You say process? I did. You said process? Oh, the, the process. The process. Well, the other thing you kind of got to wonder, and it's this rumor floating around that the NCAA is slower than freaking molasses in the freaking wintertime, is that that rumor of the potential extra scholarship somewhere between three and five for 2022. If that happens, where we're at now is fine. Because if you get there's five extra, even three extra, that's perfect, right? Curtis, is this the the part of the program where we're gonna trash the NCAA for about a good twenty to thirty minutes? Um, nah, probably At least twenty, about ten to twelve, maybe fifteen. Okay, let's do fifteen. Let's do fifteen. Let's do 15. All right, first off, fuck the NCAA. Screw <laughs> them. I mean, okay, so number one, number one, you've been dragging your feet on whether or not you're gonna allow some extra scholarships for this year after letting. Everyone play last year on a yeah. whim without yeah. even so, insight. Th- again, this is information that should have been doled out before May. Shit, it should have been doled it's, out before March. But it sh- it should have, a- but absolutely, it should have been doled out before the deadline for okay. players to get into the portal to be able to play next year. True, we're already past that. We're 11 days past that, so no longer is that even a thing to think about. But 
you know, we also have. (laughs) We'll hold it. Don't hold it in on the scholarship thing. Because last year it was like everyone can play. And we said on here, okay, that's great for this year. How are you going to get that under control next year? And you would think they would have came out pretty quick and said, because the the logical thing is you don't go from having, what, 100 players, 95 to 100 players on scholarship to getting back down to 85. The thought process is graduate it. If you're going to have, don't go. Even if you only do it one year, just give, give some flexibility. But no, Curtis, like always, the NCAA thinks problems are going to take care of themselves. Um, you mean like the NIL? <laughs> yeah, I do mean like the NIL. The NCAA thinks problems are going to take care of themselves. They don't. And then they just slapdash some shit out there and hope that things go the way they want to, which it never does. So you get situations like this with the scholarships where, where we're late and we don't know and no one knows and people are playing their cards close to the vest because they're unsure. And then you get situations like the NIL where you've got Jordan Addison entering the uh, the portal based off a uh, potential huge NIL deal with USC. Three million bucks. He's making more than Pickett is in the NFL. Yeah, it, it, it's it's wild. And I'm gonna I'm gonna preface everything before I get into this situation with I 100% still support. NIL in theory, yes. the, the the way it was was talked about. I also, and under the current rules, support the players going out there and getting theirs because all they're doing is essentially playing by by the rules that everyone else is playing by. Really? So go get yours, do what you need to do. That being said, when everyone was talking about NIL, what they were more or less talking about is. Remember that shit Johnny Manziel got in trouble for? Yeah. That would have been legal. That would have been allowed. That would not have been sanctioned. It was never supposed to be, in theory, a recruiting tool. It was supposed to be, once you've been recruited, you're in college, you can use your name, image, and likeness to make money based off your abilities once you've been recruited. The problem is, is that the NCAA... (laughs) <laughs> saw this coming for over five years. years. Over five years. And years. sat on their damn hands and then let it get to a point where states were passing laws and they were out of, they were, they no longer had control of it. So mm-hmm. once they no longer had control, they slapdashed some dumb shit together and said, here's the policy. And no one knows what really is and is not legal within this framework right now. And really no one gives a shit because the NCAA is toothless. They're toothless. And right now it's basically the wild, wild west. They can come down with any sort of stuff. And I know they're claiming they're trying to figure it out and get some rules in place. How can you punish someone based on what we're doing? Well, you can't do this. And you guys did this. You didn't tell us we couldn't do this until after we had already did this. No Clarification. Eight months later, in doing shit, you're doing jack shit. So, should there have been something? Yeah, we we've been talking about it. Like, legitimately, nil deals shouldn't have been able to be into place or a offer made until you are signed with a school. Yeah, you you have to be enrolled in the school, fully signed on scholarship 
to have the opportunity for an NIL deal. Not this, what the hell is going on at USC trying to get Jordan Addison, hey, hey, $3 million, come here and play for us. Okay? And like and like I said, I'm not necessarily begrudging the folks that are taking advantage of these oh, situations. No. They're they're just doing what the NCAA has allowed them to do. Exactly. Uh, when you're when like when Shit. when a kid when a kid habitually you know does does something wrong, you don't necessarily look at the kid and say, "Okay, well the you know the kid's bad." Well, if if they haven't had a parameter of which they know this is acceptable behavior and this is not, I mean, they're going to take advantage of that. I have I have no problem with you, mm-hmm. you know taking advantage of the rules that are there. But at some point, the NCAA didn't think, all right, well, if we're going to move forward with this, how can we move forward with this in a way that is not only equitable for the players, which is the most important part of this, but also keeps the spirit of the the intent of level, level playing field as much as can be in the college game. Exactly. And, Will I think it will be? Will it be self-corrected in the next two to three years? Yeah, but you're going to see to a point. To a point, it will be because, it will it, be. because like I know you made the point earlier. At some point, it's not going to be worth for those boosters to drop three million dollars on every good player. No, because it's, you're going to have you're going to have well, enough bust where their investment is not returned. Shit on. It's ROI. Yeah. It's return on investment. If you don't or return on equity, whatever you want to call it. If you're out there and you're a big booster and you know you're worth you know eighty hundred million dollars, rich people do not like to lose money. So if you're this guy giving nil deals ten million a year, and these kids aren't worth a shit playing, eventually you're going to look at the the school and the nil program and be like, fuck y'all, I'm not giving y'all any more money. Why? It's been five years. I've wasted fifty million dollars. We got two good players out of it. Why do so I, I need continue? Yeah, and but I'll tell you where the, the problem's gonna come though. And it's already we're already seeing it mostly with the Jordan Addison situation. It's yeah. schools well, like Pitt or schools like Virginia Tech that develop a talent, they show out and then a big dog comes in there and can throw three million at them for two years. Yeah. And and, and reap the benefits. Uh they don't have to worry about as much of that unknown factor as you will with a high school athlete. Yeah, they might be five stars, but even the hit rate on five stars isn't, isn't you know, foolproof, right? Oh no. So so at the, at that point, you know, yeah, five five most five stars are still probably going to get some money thrown at them, but you're not going to see a ton of four stars get get big deals like that. No, 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 but what you will see is the high 3 and 4 star go to a school like Pitt or like Virginia Tech or like NC State and play for 2 to 3 years. And now all of a sudden their star is rising and you'll see those big uh, schools like your Bama's, your USC's, your Oklahoma's, your Georgia's. And, and, and they'll they'll have a booster drop a mil or two mil out there and say, hey, come play for us for a year or two. Now, the bigger, but the bigger, but that's a risk reward, right? A million dollars is a lot of money. Half a million dollars is a lot of money. Yeah. But the risk reward on that for that player is you're going to a whole new school whole different culture, whole, potentially whole different system. You could, And if you're one of those guys who are that highly ranked where it's like, dude, you're going to go in the first four rounds of the draft. So you're probably going to have a few million dollars guaranteed to you regardless. Yeah. Do you go to a school, take the NIL deal, but what if it just absolutely 
cripples your stock. It's a huge risk reward. So what's going to happen in that case? Yep. Alabama comes and steals a tight end from Virginia Tech who was showing out, right? He goes to Alabama, does nothing. Instead of getting drafted, he's sitting on the end of the line, undrafted free agent, barely on a, barely on a practice squad. But so he's got those, $2 million dollars in the bank. Two, well, two <laughs> well, hold on. That, that's the piece, though. If you were going to be a top 100 prospect, what's $2 million? It's marginal, right? I get that. I get that. But money in my pocket today is better than money in my pocket in two years. Well, what's going to happen? I'm just trying to tell you that that's how a lot of players are going to see it. But what I'm saying is there's also (laughs) going to be stories and there's going to be where other coaches, such as the smaller schools, are going to be able to say, cool, you can go do that. I understand. Take the money. Don't forget what happened to these three guys. And the kids got to sit there and be like, well, shit, like, because there's still going to be chances to make, what, six figures potentially at schools like Pitt, Virginia Tech, NC State? Really good players could, at the upside of that could potentially make something like that, especially over the course of their entire career. Yeah, so it's 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 a cluster F. Hopefully in some way it gets resorted by the NCAA. Way could possibly be 50 years old when that happens, so – that just gives you their timeline. Yeah, the, the NCAA saw the uh, Jordan Ad- Ad- Addison situation. They were like, maybe we should send out some clarifying documentation. That, that'll that settle things down. That no. That's what's needed right now is some clarif- clarifying documentation of what the rules actually are. Because no, obviously morons. everyone's abiding by them. They're morons. And, I mean, what's... The NCAA, what's it going to take to control something like this? Is you got to have a powerhead figure who will lay hammers down on people, and there's only a few of the and have the respect of the collegiate community to do it. Well, in my opinion, what, I've told you several times, let Nick Saban be the NCAA commissioner. We need to have a a commissioner and a governing body that is supported by the conferences, and we don't have that right now. The conferences have zero, zero faith in what the NCAA is trying to do as a governing body Mm -hmm. Uh, to the point where they're pretty much trying to do it on their own. The problem is is that under the current rules and the way things are trending, I'm not sure that that's a good thing for college football if you like college football more or less in its current format. Well, I like college football better from 20 years ago, but that's just me. Yeah, I'm, I, like I said, I'm y- y'all know me. I'm not an old head that's out there saying, all right, screw those players. The scholarship is enough. Oh, no. S- screw those players. If you transfer, you got to sit out a year. You know I've been as pro player as, as, as most people can side. be. And you brought as, me to your side. As most people can be. I am. I am pro player movement. I am pro player being able to – get money based on their abilities. But that's not, there's a difference between that and what's going on right now, which is more or less a pay for play situation. That's exclusive to certain players because this isn't certain players pay for play for everyone. It's, it's for, it's a, it's a recruiting tool and it's a tool to get people to transfer to your university. It's almost like there should just be a draft and we should have salaries. Someone proposed that a while back. I wonder I wonder who did that. Oh, I don't know. Go check back 
2020 folks when we were again if, if they do move to that model uh the the semi-pro model the, there needs to be a draft because you're all you're doing is um you know licensing the collegiate brand and image anyway exactly you're not necessarily officially a part of the university anymore so you might as well have a draft right yeah only fair also only fair when certain schools who always get 65 five stars are sitting out there trying to get scraps although yeah. that will never happen they there's too many people in play that will never allow that to happen because there would be too much parity and parity some conferences and some schools do not like well the NCAA better act sooner they're going get, to get cut out of their own money making wagon you damn right by that and the quicker the uh, power five gets that together it's going to be hilarious all right Brian, let's talk about this. Um, this happened this week. It was first reported by Pete Thamel. Basically, ACC means going on this week, and it's under discussion that divisions could be eliminated as early as 2023. Um, reported later by David Teal, one of the most popular models is a three-fixed and you play the other five teams rotating every year. What do you think of it? I'd prefer two and six, but I, I like this better than divisions. So, yes. what, what whatever we end up with is a a it's better a, for, a better good start than than what we're doing now. Um, aside from not wanting to play BC every year, which I'm hoping that one of the three is not BC. Good Lord, I hope not. I'm sick of BC. Yes, we we will play them every other year. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll still get up there to Chestnut Hill every four years. They'll get down to Blacksburg every four years. That's good enough. That's good enough. Um, yeah, let, get, give me UVA, give me Miami, and give me one of either Georgia Tech or UNC if we're going. All right, three. all right. Um, I'm 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 with you on the first two. I lean just because you've got to kind of keep it balanced. I lean screw that go Louisville. Okay. I like I like Louisville. I, I've got no beef with Louisville being being that third. Well, my model, and I've told Brian about this, the model I've got in my head is thinking geography and distances. Because to me, everybody needs one long travel. Like one travel where you've got to go a long ass ways. That would be Miami for us. That would be us for Miami. West Virginia's not joining, Robbie. West Virginia's not joining. They're in the Big 12 threat. So, like, and then you have a medium somewhere between, what, five, six hours for your fan base to drive. That's Louisville. Louisville is roughly five and a half, six and a half hours from Blacksburg. And then one short distance or a, a shorter distance as possible. So that's why I'd go Louisville over Carolina or GT um, just because it's going to be – you, you GT gotta, is right at the border of that five to six that you put out there. Yeah, GT's right at the border. It's about a seven and a half from Blacksburg. So it's still it's still not a bad drive. You want to go down there for if it's a three thirty game, you leave at six o'clock in the morning from Blacksburg or from this area, you be down there by one one thirty, tailgate a few hours, go to the game. Right? It's a reasonable drive. Yep. So that's kind of the, what I'm seeing. In, but the biggest thing about this, everybody wins. Everybody wins. We as fans win, right? Yep. We as fans wins because we know 
every other year we're going to play – or every every two years we play everybody in conference. We play everybody in conference. That's awesome. You talk about planning to go, you know, maybe going to Clemson or FSU for a trip, for an away game, you know when it's going to be. Yep. And it's not like waiting six, seven years for that to happen. Um, and it also – me and Brian were looking at, like, everybody's been talking about, well, the Atlantic's been the dominant conference. Beginning of the ACC, the Coastal, from roughly 2005 to 2011, the Coastal had the two better teams numerous occasions. Numerous occasions. Yep. So what we've looked at now in the last 10 years, it's been Clemson and Florida State, while the Coastal's just been the wheel of destiny. Yeah, we we said it earlier. The uh, the Atlantic has had usually the two best teams in a given year. The Coastal has usually had three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. So the the Coastal might be a little a little deeper, um, but they are more in the middle of the of the pack versus at the top end of the of the conference. It's true, but the whole piece about this, especially if you're looking at a playoff model that's getting larger, you want your two best teams on the stage. At the end of yep. the season, if a team is twelve and zero and a team's eleven and one or even ten and two playing each other, if it's a good competitive game, you're likely going to get two in. Yep, that's why you're going to this model. And by all means, if you do the scheduling right, you you want Miami and VT or you want them to play. You take a look at the you know ten years ago Saturday afternoons pulling three and a half four million people as a three thirty game. You want Florida State and Clemson to play. You want the good teams to play each other because when it's the known brands who are good and ranked, people turn on their TVs to watch that game. So it's a win for fans. It's a win for players because the players, if you stay there four years, you're going to play every team away and home. Yep. You're going to experience every atmosphere in the ACC, which is awesome. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think it's going to be a, a, a good move for the ACC as a whole. Um, and I think getting rid of divisions uh, is, like you said, good for fans. Fans get to see the Hokies play teams that they you know, sometimes wait four, five, six years to play, which is asinine under the current format. Yeah, completely um, asinine. What it took us like seven years to play Syracuse. Yeah, it, it took us a while to play Syracuse. Um, took us a while to get NC State. Um, Louisville. Louisville, yeah. By the way, shout out John Earl. You know how many times NC State and Duke have played each other since in, in the last 18 years? How many? Four. They literally are 40 – they're, what, 30 minutes from each other? They played four times in 14 years. So so we played West Virginia pretty much the same number of times. They've played a down-the-street rival – in the same conference. In the same, more. <laughs> more. Huh? All right. Let's roll on. Let's talk about the draft real quick, Brian, with the Hokies in the draft. The Hokies get four players drafted. Um, James Mitchell, 177 to Detroit. Amari Barno, 189 to Carolina. Luke Tenuta, 209 to Buffalo. And Lasita Smith, 215 to Arizona. Of the other names we've had on our list and we talked about, who are you shocked that did not get drafted? 
uh, did not get drafted Jermaine Waller. Uh, I thought he would at least get drafted just based off um, the earlier tape and and what he did in the front half of 2021. Um, I think the injuries and the the back half performance as a result of those injuries, uh, along with I think in some ways Caleb Farley, um, you know, going so high and then and then being you know injured so early mm-hmm. in his career, I think some of that is you know, playing in, in, into that. But I think Waller could, you know, potentially get in there and stick. Um, I think Detroit's not an awful fit for him uh, with his skill set. Um, yeah, big thing for him is he's got to stay healthy now. Absolutely. Jermaine was shocked to me because I said six guys would get drafted. He was one shocked to me. The other was Brock. As it got later, I thought center versatile guard guy would get – would someone would just draft him just like this is just a shot – if he develops right, we've got a swing guy on the inside, right? Yeah. Um, so I was shocked he didn't get drafted. I mean, he went to Cleveland, good spot for him. They just got rid of J.C. Treader, who was a pretty experienced. So there's a couple guys in front of him, but there's not like that one big, you know, Pro Bowl, solid veteran type guy you're not going to beat out. Um you know, talking about the other ones, we already talked about Jordan Williams going to Miami. Trey Turner goes to Las Vegas. Blackshear to Buffalo. Changa Hodge to Arizona. John Parker Romo catches on with the Saints. Now, let's flip back. Were you shocked that James Mitchell went before anybody else? No, because I knew that he had probably the biggest upside of any player. Just based on his size, his skill, he's put – He's got pretty decent tape out there. We didn't utilize him the way that we probably should have, but the tape that is out there on him is good. Um, he's got the size. He's got the measurables. He wasn't able to do, you know, some of the stuff at the combine, but you know, overall, he's been able to to show his measurables before, so that wasn't as big of a deal. Um, so that doesn't shock me. Um, it doesn't necessarily shock me that Barno was the next one off the board because, again, another physical trait player. Uh, versatile player that you can do some different things with and has some upside at either, you know, a heavy blitzing 4-3 scheme um, or, uh, you know, potentially an edge player in a 3-4 or a situational rusher in a in a traditional 4-3 as a defensive end. Oh, yeah. He's one of those guys, if, if you're running a system where you have like a wide nine, you stick him at nine his first year and say go – or you put them on special teams, they go try to block the punt. My shocker of all these was Lasita Smith going 215. Lasita Smith could become a starter in the NFL. At yeah. worst, he is going to be a swing guard that can play either side of the line solidly and make spot starts. Him going that late, especially where he was ranked, because if you look, he was a top 10 guard on so many guys' big boards, and it shows you the value of the guards. But it also shows you – me and Brian were talking about he's a Colts fan, I'm a Niners fan. We really don't have spots for guys who are potential starters. We don't. What we have spots for, and it's how we kind of drafted, right, Brian? We took a guy out of Fordham and a guy out of UTEP on the offensive line because they're looked at developing. Why do we take those guys? Because is anybody in their right mind going to sign a kid out of Fordham or a kid out of UTEP to their roster as the season begins? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with yeah, you. They're not. They're so not. what happens? They go on your practice squad. A guy like Lasita Smith, if the Colts or the 49ers pick him up, he could fit in our schemes. If he's not, if he's essentially the fifth or sixth guard and we have to cut him, he's not coming back to you. Yeah. He's not. It's just simple as that. True. So, um, who do you think you, you, you – I, I feel like I look at it. I'm glad four guys win. I'm glad all these guys signed. Um, anyone stick out to you as maybe in two or three years we're talking about them in a good way? You know, I'm, I'm going to stick with my, my train here, but I'm going – I think Blackshear is going to be a guy that sticks on a roster even though he's undrafted. Even though he's undrafted. Yeah. I feel like what they do in Buffalo, he could he could be the gadget guy up there. So I, I could definitely see that. And, hey, um, the old special teams coach, Jabez, he knows how to get kickers, man. He's got, he's got a lot of kickers in the league right now. So yeah. Buffalo yeah. might stick. All right, Brian, A, did you watch the Kentucky Derby Saturday? I did. I did. That was that was a uh, that was that was a that was a good one. <laughs> Crazy race. The 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 was it a drone angle as they were making the turn? Did you have you seen that picture? Yeah. The way that um, what Rich King came up, right? No, Rich Strike. Excuse Rich me. Rich Strike. Yeah. Eighty to one odds. He literally got in because somebody got scratched like two days before. 80 to 1 odds wins a derby. Also, that horse is mean. If you did not see him afterward, <laughs> literally biting people, yeah. <laughs> faces, he has an attitude. But Mike Leach made a great tweet and a great statement. He said, that horse winning the Kentucky Derby is a good example of why an expanded playoff is needed. That horse hadn't won all the races leading up, but he got the key word his chance and it happened. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, and we talked about this. Sometimes you just need one. The difference is, is that with a playoff, it's not just one, right? Like it's not just one shot. You got you gotta put put a, a little run together. You so there's a, a little, little little difference there, but having a seat at the table is important. And having a seat at the table gives you your long shot, right? You're not necessarily – you're not favored to win. It's not likely that you win. You're a long shot for a reason, just like Rich Strike was a long shot for a reason. Sometimes all the card, sometimes all the cards come together and the long shot wins. Um, or the long shot can make a run that, you know, you don't normally don't make. Um, yeah. you know, it's, it's very unlikely that a – a 12 seed would win a college football playoff, but yeah. it helps long-term that 12 seed be able to, to consistently compete and potentially build towards a scenario where they could win a college football playoff. Exactly. Do I expect Rich Strike to win the Triple Crown? No. I don't at all. No. But – if he was the 12 and he played the five and he caught the game of his life, there you go. That's all you need. 
Now, I mean, everybody's talking about Rich Strike. Even if he doesn't win the, the Triple Crown, everybody's still talking about Rich Strike. Forever. Forever. So in that case, you kind of look at the college football playoff and think, you know, number five Alabama has to play somebody with a week to prepare, and they lose. It's forever going to be talked about. It's Boise State, Oklahoma of 07. That game's still talked about to this day. When that upset happened. Yep. And that's all you want. That's all that's all most that's that's all most eighty-five percent of the college football world wants, right? We just want a chance to sit at the table. Just one seat, you can put us at the end there. We just want a chance to sit at the table. Yeah, because I mean at some point, you know, depending on where we're heading, um the, the seats are gonna get even more difficult to obtain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so so true. So, so so the more of them we have, the better. Very, very true, my friend. All right. Before we shut it down tonight, guy we chat with off and on all the time blew up over the weekend. Our our boy, the Diablo fan account deferred walk on tweet of the year in in my opinion. But, you know, and it's the truth. This is the truth. Men will literally sit around and name random sports players for two hours instead of going to therapy. Yes, because Sid Bream was very close to being out in <laughs> with the Bonds. <laughs> I got a Sid uh, Bream card somewhere, by the way. Nice. Mine was Dante Bichette in the 1999 season. Oh my god! Well, where he where he had like a uh, unbelievable slash, but was like minus two, uh, minus one point two and more. Yeah, <laughs> he had like what three thirty three thirty six homers, one hundred twenty RBI. But it's it's true. Listen, you get a room full of guys, and, and if they're all of the same age or about a ten year span, we literally can sit here and name and, and go to any sport too. That's the funny part. It's not just like, oh, it's just football. Nah, pretty sure we can go basketball. And hey, remember uh, Vernon Maxwell that time he went into the stands? <laughs> <laughs> about what, eight years before Malice at the Palace? Vernon Maxwell. Yeah, yeah. Went into the stands about to fight the guy. <laughs> but that tweet uh, to today is at uh, almost 52,000 likes. 18,000 plus quote tweets. And it's so funny. Guy I listened to 49ers podcast and I've DM'd a couple times. Great guy named John Chapman. It got to him. John lives out in San Jose. In a tweet from Blacksburg, Virginia, <laughs> made its way to the other side of the country. And who knows where else in this world? Yeah. It's out there in the ether now. Well done, sir. Well done. Forever, forever, forever. Brian, in the last hour and 25 minutes, has anything broken? Uh, nothing that I see here, buddy. I think Other, we're ready than, to kick. Other than who won the NBA game, the Bucks came back and won. Wow, don't talk hey. to Mike Daniel tomorrow. All right. Well, if that's it, let's wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler.
Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBT.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube and our or your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple, Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, check, play us out. Check him out this weekend at the Grandin Farmer's Market in Roanoke. Also catch him on Spotify and Apple Music, especially with his uh, new song, Old Man Yelling at the TV. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies. Okay.